Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. Now, we gather every Sunday morning in person and online at 10.30 a.m. Now, if you are listening to our audio podcasts, you can just search Faith on Hill uh, on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you'll find us. You won't notice this, but if you're on our video today, either live-streamed on faithonhill.com or uh, all the time at our Facebook page, uh, you'll notice I'm wearing a tie. I don't normally wear a tie. Uh, the other Sunday morning, I woke up, and for whatever reason, I just felt like putting a nicer shirt and a tie on, and uh, I showed up to church, and a lady walked into the church and, and stopped and looked at me and said, is it a special day? Did I miss something? I said, no, I just felt like wearing a tie today, and I got to keep you on your toes, you know. I said, I'll wear a, a baseball hat and a t-shirt next week just to keep you honest, you know. Um, but it's kind of fun to do different things. And so uh, we're glad that you're here. We gather every Sunday morning, of course, at 10.30 a.m., and then we have small groups that meet throughout the week. And you can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. Do you have a little bit of sad news to pass on? Uh, Our brother John Larson, who's part of the church for many years, uh, and just recently uh, moved up to Washington State to be closer to his kids, go into memory care, and last week he was found unconscious. He had had a uh, blood sugar levels tr- crash on him, and uh, he passed away this week. He's with Jesus. So we are rejoicing for him. John was a faithful minister. He pastored churches back east, and he pastored churches here in the Portland area. And then for many years, he just blessed us with his presence, you know. And uh, I'm always so thankful for John. I'm thankful for the time I got to spend with him. And we are praying for his wife, Grace his kids, his grandkids in their time of loss. So let's pray for them and remember our brother John, uh, who is a great servant of Jesus uh, all over this country and in this area in particular. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. and We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 9. We'll be finishing the chapter of the day, and we're kind of finishing a sort of trilogy. We've been talking about faith and grace versus law and religion. And this week we'll kind of close that trilogy up and we're going to talk about people who just want to be healed while religious people argue over things that they could care less about. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18. Now remember that Jesus has come back to the area of the Galilee where he primarily ministers in. He has healed a paralyzed man. And then the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders are arguing with him over authority and power. And then John's disciples come and they want to debate about fasting and religious observances. And Matthew says that while all this was happening, verse 18, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him And so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. So she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned to her and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And then when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes... Uh, These aren't like bagpipes. These would be kind of like flutes. This would be mourning music. This would be music of grief. He said, go away. The little girl is not dead, 
She's asleep. They laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, he took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread all through that region. And as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he got indoors, the men came and asked him, Oh, he asked them, excuse me, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done. And their sight was restored, and Jesus warned them sternly, See that nobody knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers to the harvest field. This is God's word. There were six people that were healed in this story. Six people who Jesus ministered to. The first is this synagogue leader. Now think about this. While Jesus is speaking with, he's in the house of a sinner. So the synagogue leader has to come there, which would have been forbidden. And then Jesus is being challenged by the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Uh, imagine that you are just the synagogue leader of this small town and then you get there and the most famous scribes and the most learned scholars and the most important religious leaders of your faith are there challenging the man that you have come to ask for his help. He doesn't care because his daughter is dead and this is his only shot. There's no healing for her. She's gone, but can this man raise her from the dead. He's heard about the miracles. Maybe he heard as his daughter was was sick and suffering, he heard that the paralyzed man had been healed. And then as he thinks his daughter is dead, he says, maybe this man who healed the paralyzed could bring her back. And so in desperation, he goes. He could care less about John's disciples' questions about fasting. He could care less about all of the debates and the challenges of the Pharisees and the scribes. He just wants his daughter to be healed and he wants his heartbreak to be over. And in verse 20, as Jesus is on his way to the synagogue leader's house, as he is going there, a woman comes into the crowd and just grabs his robe and says, if I just could even touch his robe. It's not that she had faith in the robe, but she had faith in Jesus, but she believed that Jesus was so powerful, so able, so willing. I am amazed sometimes where people think, you know, oh, I can't bother God. It's such a little problem. I, I, I wouldn't pray about that. That's such a little thing. So this woman knows Jesus is willing, but she's like, I don't want to bother him. I just need to touch his robe. And he'll heal me. 
And Jesus looks and he sees her and he says, your faith has healed you. Not faith in the robe, not faith in faith, not just having enough good vibes. It was because she believed in Jesus that she received this healing. The third is, of course, the girl. Everyone had given up on this girl except her father. The people are outside. They're mourning. They've said, she is gone. It's too late. How many people have given up on people who are dying but still alive? And I mean this spiritually. How many people have looked at somebody's life and said there's no hope for them? There is no turning around. They can't be changed. And then Jesus walks in and he does his work. And then Jesus walks in and he changes lives. How many people have said there's no hope? And Jesus comes in and says, get out of here. I got some things to do. I was thinking about this little girl. She doesn't have any agency. She's uh, a child. She's in a culture that doesn't value women. I'm not saying that's good. And Jesus, you can see how differently he acted towards women compared to what would have been normal in the culture. But she's a child. She's a girl in a culture that doesn't value women. And she is on death's door. So she has no idea about the healing of the paralyzed man She's too young to process the religious debates. Somebody cared about her. There's a fine line here. Sometimes people will say, can you pray for me? And what they mean is, I don't want to deal with God, but I want God's help. Can you go deal with God for me? And I get this sometimes as a pastor. People will say, can you pray for me? Well, you can pray too. Hey, Grandma, can you pray for me? I know my, I know my parents pray for me. I know my grandma prays for me. I know my spouse prays for me. Somebody else will do the work of dealing with God so I don't have to. That's not how it works. But in this case, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that there are people out there who are lost, who are at death's door, maybe literally, but definitely spiritually, and everyone's given up on them, except this girl's father. Everyone's given up except the girl's father. And maybe you're the only person praying. Maybe you're the only person showing grace. Maybe you're the only person showing the love of Jesus in someone's life, and you haven't given up. Everyone else has, but you haven't. Don't give up. Because Jesus walks in, and he says, she's not dead. She's only asleep. And everyone laughs, and he says, get out of here takes her hand and he lifts her up. Don't give up. And maybe you are the person who everyone's given up on. Jesus hasn't given up on you. Jesus is still calling. Take his hand. The fourth and the fifth are these two blind men. Imagine being blind beggars, and they seem to have joined together, uh, maybe uh, for whatever reason, they've joined together. And in the town, they hear talk of a paralyzed man healed. And then they hear talk as they're sitting on the corner, no hope, no prospects, no future. And then they hear, 
The same man that healed the paralyzed man has now gone and brought a girl back from the brink of death. And so then they hear he is passing by and they just get up and they start following and they don't know exactly where he is so they just cry out, Son of David, which is a messianic title. They're acknowledging who Jesus is. Jesus, have mercy. They have no hope outside of Jesus. And they don't know everything. They don't understand all of the debates and the theology. They just know that they are blind and maybe Jesus can heal them. Jesus turns and he touches their eyes. And he says, in accordance to your faith, let you be healed. And then finally, again, somebody has hope for somebody. They bring before him the sixth person to be healed. This person, it says, is demonically possessed and is mute. They cannot speak. Over the years, I have heard people teach that it was because of the demon that the person couldn't speak. That's not what Matthew says. He says there's two different things going on. A lot of times, religious people, church people, even well-meaning people, confuse two different issues as being the same thing or being linked. Now, sometimes they are. Sometimes one issue is directly linked or a cause of another issue, 100%. But Matthew says they're two different things. That this person had a physical infirmity and there was demonic activity in their life. We believe unapologetically in the supernatural. I believe that there are spiritual forces at work and at war in this world. Do I believe that there are people in our community who are demonically possessed? It's 100% likely the case. Do I believe that he was demonically possessed? This is the tricky thing where we try to figure out, was it demonic possession or did the person have some kind of um, chemical imbalance, a mental illness, uh, something else that was mistaken for demonic possession? Maybe, could be. I don't think it matters. Here's my point. There were two different things going on. Sometimes people only want to deal with one. Yes, I want to deal with this issue, but not that issue. I want to deal with this problem, but not that problem. God wants to do the total work. He wants to do the total work. And so, here's a man whose daughter he thinks is dead, and Jesus brings hope into his life. Here's a woman who for 12 years has been on an endless menstruation. That's what's going on. She's, she's had a menstrual cycle that has not stopped for 12 years. And there's all kinds of cultural things that go along with that if you read the Old Testament law. There's all kinds of issues that happen that are, that are systemic from that. Nothing to do with her fault. It's not anything. She's just tried to be better. And she can't. Here's a, a girl who everyone's given up on. Here's two blind men with no hope. Here's somebody who has multiple problems. And Jesus comes in and starts working. And they don't care at all about any of the religious debates. You know, there was another blind man in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus gave him his sight. And he was brought before the religious leaders, and they said, 
who did this? What happened? And he said, look, I don't know about any of that. I just know that I was blind and now I can see. That's what I know. But church people will debate, will argue, will take sides over all kinds of stuff that doesn't seem to matter. And non-church people will do the same, by the way. Non-church people will do the same. They're trying to get us involved in arguments, get us involved in debates, get us involved in polarization that distracts from Jesus setting people free from the bondages of sin and death. And we can't have it. Now, somebody asked, and rightly so, well, okay, then, if this is all that matters, why is there huge parts of the Bible that talk about doctrine? That's a set of beliefs. Theology, the study of God. Prophecy in the end times. Why are there all of these things that are just huge parts of the Bible if, if it doesn't matter to those who are lost and hurting? When should we discuss and debate theology? One of my favorite songs. It's one of those songs, like, you know you have favorite songs, and somebody says, hey, what's your favorite song? And immediately you think of a few, right? And then you're somewhere, and, you know, on the radio or your, your um, Spotify or your Apple Music just shuffles to something, and you haven't heard it in a while, but you go, oh, my goodness, I love this song. I'm not turning this off. Like, I'm just going to, this is great. One of those songs for me is Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. It's an old song. You'd recognize it if you, even if you don't know the name. It says, for everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. It's a huge hit from when my mom was a kid. But it's the Bible. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that says there is a season for everything. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. There's a time to do this. There's a time to stop from doing that. We've got to know the season we're in. We, we talk sometimes about things in the Bible, and I've said, like, if you were to make, like, a top ten list of things that I do not want to argue about, this would be way up there. Or if you were to make, like, a top ten list of things that are the most important things for Christians to know and understand, this would not make it, right? And so we can understand that some things are, are closed-handed issues. They're things that we hold on to tightly. Some things are open-handed issues. We hold on to them. They're in our hands, but we aren't holding on to tightly. There's room for a lot of different points of view. I will go to the wall on things that pertain to salvation. Is Jesus fully God and fully human? Did Jesus die on the cross and rise from the dead three days later? I will go to the wall. I will stand firm on those things because they affect someone's eternal salvation. Why is it that I would say, the Baptists over there, the Pentecostals over there, and, and, and all of these different kinds of denominations and churches, and I have fellowship with them. I have fellowship with Presbyterians. I have fellowship with Free Methodists. I have fellowship even with the Orthodox and Catholics. Why is that? Because if they believe the same things about that which is necessary for salvation and who Jesus is, Jesus is fully God and fully human. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father but through him, Jesus said. 
And they're my brothers, they're my sisters. We don't agree on everything, but I'm not going to fight with them over those things. I'm going to focus on what we do agree on. That's the dividing line. Jesus is not just a prophet. So although I've had great friendships and relationships with Muslim neighbors, co-workers, and friends, Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not a God or the Son of God, which is just the Son of God. He is God. He is God the Son, but he's also equally God with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. So therefore, I have a, a divide. I can't call Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses my brothers and my sisters because he's not just that. Jesus is not just an enlightened teacher, so I have that divide with Buddhists or people from the Baha'i faith. Even though I can have respect and friendship, there's a divide. So I will focus on things that pertain to salvation because if you believe a different gospel, a different message, a different, then you believe falsely and you do not believe in Jesus and your salvation is not assured. The next thing I would ask is, are these questions of the moment? Are these questions of the moment? I wrote a blog recently. It's on our church's website. And I started out by saying, like, this is not the blog I want to write. This isn't the subject I would like to talk about. But I recognize that the questions of the moment are mostly dictated to us instead of us getting to choose what we want to focus on. There are Christians who their whole life seems to be devoted to debating how God created the earth. Did God create the earth in a literal six days? Or did God create the earth over millions of years through evolutionary processes? Or is there some other option that's out there? This debate is just over and over again, but it's not the questions of our time. Many Christians believe that God created the heavens and the earth through evolutionary processes. It's not a a barrier to somebody coming into the faith. By the way, I, I personally, just for a few different reasons, and I'd be happy to talk about why, I tend to believe that God created the earth in six literal days. I also tend to think that the earth is a lot older than young earth creationists believe, and I don't think that the two are contradictory. But I'm not interested in fighting with anybody about it. But here's my point. It's not a question of the moment. If you're arguing over creationism versus evolution, this is something from decades ago. It's not a question of the moment. What is a question of the moment? And those things we have to dig into, not because we want to, because we need to. What is the question that this generation is asking? This is why I grew up in a group of churches that made a big deal about Bible prophecy in the end times. And when I went to Bible college, I did really well in all of my eschatology, prophecy, revelation classes, all that. Uh, I don't care. I don't want to talk about it a lot. Why? Because it's not the question of today. My parents' generation was asking, where are we going? How is this all going to end? Are they going to drop the bomb? Is, 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 are the Russians going to come across the, you know, across the Berlin Wall? What's going to happen? All of these things. The Bible spoke, spoke and speaks to that. And it answered their questions. But the questions that people are asking today are questions about identity and justice. The Bible speaks to those things too. God cares about those things too. And I want to speak to those issues because they're the questions of the day. Finally, should we debate or discuss something? Remember, for everything is there is, there is a season. So I ask, is this a question about salvation? Okay. 
Is this a question about, that's a question of this moment? Yes, no. Are we building or tearing people down? Are we building up or are we tearing people down? You know, it's one thing to sit around with some people and have a friendly disagreement. Sometimes I'll, I'll have conversations with other local pastors and we have different points of view on open-handed issues. And we'll, we'll have a fun little discussion about it and then move on. It's another thing to argue and tear down. And I see YouTube videos get passed around and people say, here's this person who just destroys this other point of view. And it's like, how does that help anybody? By the way, I've never seen a YouTube video or a TikTok video or anything that anybody shares and somebody goes, watch this person destroy this other person. It never happens. All it is is somebody is saying something that you already agreed with. And then somebody who disagrees with that person goes, he didn't destroy a thing. It's a weak argument. That happens every time. Theology, the study of God, matters. Doctrine matters. God wouldn't have put it in the Bible if it didn't matter. But you got to know the season you're in. And right now, we are in a season where people are lost. People are dying. People are hurting. People are scared. People are angry. People are on edge. Do you think that they care about us arguing over do we fast at Lent or not? Do you think people care if Christians debate about which way God created the world? They care about healing from their abuse. They care about healing from the constant anger and frustration. We've argued about masks. We argued about racial injustice. Now we're going to argue about abortion again. What, what's going on right now? And Jesus does all of this healing work, and then he says to his disciples, after doing all of this healing work, he says, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people out here who need God. But he says the workers are few. So he says, pray, therefore, that God would send more workers. Don't underestimate the compassion of God for people. Don't ever underestimate the compassion of God for people. While religious people argue and bicker and debate over minute points of theology, while they argue and bicker and debate over minute points of theology, there are people who are hurting and God has compassion. There are people who are lost and God has compassion. But he says pray. Do you want something to pray about? Christians, do you want something to pray about? Ask Jesus to send more workers into the harvest. Can I tell you that I pray for this? I think about this a lot. Lord, there are places in this country that just have, it's just places where, where the church seems to be strong. Places where people have been built up and discipled and strengthened over many years. Could you send them to Portland? I pray about this all the time. Lord, could somebody in Denver, a godly woman, a faithful family, could they get a job offer to come to Portland? Could you bring them here? Could somebody who has just been on fire for Jesus in San Diego feel a call to come here? I pray about this all the time. Lord, send more workers here. I think that's a good thing to pray about. But here's the good news. 
Jesus is working. I want to end by reading chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Here's the good news. Jesus says to the disciples, pray that God would send more workers. And then he says, and I'm calling you to go. I pray all the time, I pray all the time for God to send more workers here. And then I recognize that I and you and we are the people that God has placed here in Milwaukee, Oak Grove, Gladstone, the North Clackamas County area. God has placed us here. And he's giving us opportunities to bring hope and healing. We pray for sick people all the time. And we have seen God heal people. And we rejoice in that. And we're going to keep praying. And if you come to a small group, we pray. And if you come on Sunday mornings in person, we pray for people to be healed all the time. But God is opening doors. God is opening doors. Just this last week, I, I, I felt like I had a huge payoff. Uh, some relationship building I had been doing for a year. And then finally, I just had the open door to speak and, and say, hey, you know what? I literally just said that in a sermon last Sunday. And I just shared with them and encouraged them. And it was like, oh, I'm finally seeing some, some fruit from this. Don't give up. Because God's placed us here. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, the people you go to school with, your kids, your parents, your grandkids, these are the people that God has placed us around. And these are the people, these are the people that we can bring hope and healing to through the power of God the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of opportunity. And you can look around and you can say everything's bleak, everything's rough, or you can say there is endless opportunity to bring hope and healing into a dying world full of people who are blind, who are crying out, have mercy on me. And we can say Jesus is willing. Place your faith in him. And that's what I would say to you right now. Jesus is willing. Place your faith in him.